hi, hi. Welcome to Tea Cakes and Tarot Conversations with Queer Futurists. I am your host, Will Wilhelm. Thank you so much for being here and for joining us today for another very special episode. Ooh, our guest today is a deliciously talented human who I have had an artistic crush on for a long time. And you are about to hear the development of that crush happening in real time. <laughs> so in order to access that, take a breath, find your center, and join me here in the space between. Today, I share space with a playwright and television writer from Portland, Oregon. Their many incredible plays include Masculinity Max, Sagittarius Ponderosa, and Sensitive Guys. They are also a co-founder of a really amazing organization called TransLab in New York City. My guest today is playwright MJ Kaufman. This interview was originally recorded on November 12th, 2020. Hi, dear friend. How are you? I'm so good. This is such a treat. <laughs> it's such a treat for me, too. I'm so excited to have you here. Um, oh, I see some uh, friends in the chat. Oh, my yeah. God. Hi, Ada, I miss you. Um, just to give the people, you know, a little bit of, um, of, of where we're coming from, I, um, I have read your plays and I've loved your plays. And then two years ago, maybe got the opportunity to do a reading of something that you are maybe still developing. I hope you are. Um, and it was just such a, such a privilege to see your work in progress. Um, and you know, no, I know pizza. Yes. Yeah. And then we went out for pizza. It was so funny. I was like, I feel like that's the last time I like actually asked someone on a date. I was like, Hey, um, I really, I know who you are. You don't maybe know who I am, but this was really fun. We worked on your play for two days and like, do you want to like go to dinner? I thought that I was asking you out. I was like, gosh, do you know if there's any good pizza in Ashland? Um, like I'm new here. <laughs> so we went on a so we went on a first date and this is our second date, I think. And and yeah, we have all these witnesses. It's really great. <laughs> yeah. Um, so let's let's dive into it, shall we? Yeah. I you know, I've been, I'm sure you've been thinking a lot. Um about, you know, the American theater is not necessarily a place where trans and non-binary uh, stories are, you know, prevalent or thriving. And so I'm always like, how the fuck do we solve that? Um, and to me, I'm like, it's a great question. There's these like two prongs because I'm like, I'm seeing the work that people like you and Basil Kremendahl are doing where it's like, well, you have to generate new stories, like give people who occupy those um, social locations the opportunities to tell the stories. But that also takes so much like fucking time. So like, and you're only one person, like you can't create a whole canon of work alone. So I'm also like, and then we also have to like queer all of the existing things. Um, like we have to take everything that exists and also make that about trans and non-binary so stories. So much work. <laughs> And so, like, I know that most, many people know of you as, like, a new playwright, but that thing that I read of yours is very much an adaptation of a very old play, older than Shakespeare. Um, and so I'm really curious to hear from you about, like, those two, like, that, those sort of two-pronged approach, like, what are the benefits, what are the weaknesses, what you think about those? 
Wow, what a beautiful, thoughtful question. Um, I might have to like sit with it for a minute. Um, we are, please. <laughs> I mean, I feel like like um, some amount of like both and, and it takes all kinds and whatever calls to you as an artist. Um, so, so at different points I've like felt really excited about um, like Western classics or whatever, you know, we want to call them like um, the Greeks and Shakespeare. Actually, I guess I've, I always have, I've always felt really excited about them. I just like, I'm kind of obsessed with Greeks and, and um, Shakespeare and um, these sort of like canonical Western classics. But I also sort of feel, um, I don't know, self-critical or, 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 or like, um, like, like, let's not let them take up um, too much space basically just because of like, um, you know, Eurocentrism and valuing dead writers over living writers and, and all kinds of reasons. And so have felt like, well, we can't only be rewriting classics as much as I like love doing that. I also, we also have to create new content. Um, so, so yeah, I would say a, a both and approach, but that, but that also that I, I've learned a lot from, um, from classical, I, I don't know, classical plays, we call them that from, from reading them and working with them. Yeah. Writing, yeah. And do you feel like those are like somehow informing or a part of the things, even when you write new plays or are you like, you know, burn it all down and I'm just creating from scratch? Absolutely. Um, I think that like, um, there's so much I've learned from like, like I, I, my, I grew up really like going to see Shakespeare plays and acting in them at camp. And it just feels like a really essential part of my DNA. Um, and, you know, I've, I've been obsessed with Greek mythology for as long as I can remember. So I feel like this like sort story structures and archetypes are like, are like deep inside the way that I write, whether or not I would want them to be. <laughs> um, and that, you know, like, so, like I often think about how um, Shakespeare has the whole world in each play, like we'll have like the sort of like every aspect of society, like the king and the beggar and, and how can I do that in whatever I'm writing, even if it's only, you know, one or two bodies on stage, how can I show the whole of, um, the whole of a world, the whole society. I love that. I'm curious, like, okay, let's imagine like we can rid ourselves of any of the guilt of like, of like preserving these dead writers and we're just like well I feel like doing the Greeks and um and the Shakespeare and I don't have to have like complicated feelings about that imagine um, so <laughs> like what do you what do you what based on what you see and have your own experiences if you were in charge of those productions like what would you just put a big fucking highlighter over and you know what I mean like because clearly you're connecting with it we're connecting with yeah. it but yeah. sometimes I think people like miss the things that we connect with mm -hmm. and what would you like try to be like drawing out of that for everyone else? Oh yeah beautiful questions um I think all of this sort of transformation and fluidity that I see in um in in Shakespeare and in Greek mythology um and I, I always think so much of how Shakespeare must was performed in his, how his plays were performed in his time, just like with so few, so, so little of everything, so few costumes, so few props, so little sets, as far as we know. This, this is my understanding, I'm not a scholar, but. Yeah, I, that's my understanding as well. 
Yeah. And just like thinking about all of the like beautiful theatricality that comes from limitations, like, um, you know, like, like there were actors who were, who were um, changing genders without changing costumes and that like, or, or barely changing costumes. And that's sort of like a foreign thought to us now, but it's a theatrical language that I would love to see more of. <laughs> yeah, me too. It makes you imagine a little bit more. <laughs> yeah. Um, I have I have an artist question for you, not that these all have been, um, that I'm curious about. Um, in, in my understanding, and please correct me if this is not your understanding, I think of you as, like I said, like one of very few trans and non-binary playwrights who are, you know, being produced regionally as you are with the sort of like, you know, national name recognition that you have. Um, and I imagine that might feel like a lot of pressure, um, you know, to represent a whole community. And I know that you of course want to do it well, but you also are like only one person. Um, and like, you're, none of us are perfect. We're, we're all like, <laughs> so is that something that you think about? Is that something that you carry like with your work? How do you address that like for yourself? Yeah, I feel like I think about it all the time. <laughs> Ada's being so goofy in the chat. Um, like, I remember, this is maybe like four years ago now, but um, I, I like did this interview with the New York Times that was supposed to be like trans playwrights. And when I got to the interview, it was like me and two other um, white trans masculine playwrights. And I feel like our answer to every single question was like, well, we can't represent the whole community. And the, the, the reporter got kind of bored of like, kind of annoyed of like, okay, but like, what can you, because, because we were just so, I think we were all so um, disappointed and um, that, that that was the panel that they had chosen. And also so like, yeah, I felt a lot of pressure to, to represent a like um, impossibly like complex and diverse community and I would say so I um got to help found this program called Trans Lab with um two other trans playwrights Kate Yan and um Cece Suazo and um it's like a program to support emerging theater artists who are um trans non-binary or gender non-conforming and I feel like one thing I've learned from us um having op open applications and receiving submissions is that like the amount of like creative diversity in our community is like inconceivable. Like there is just no such thing as a trans play or a trans voice. Like, like there is everything out there. And, and I know that even, even in our applications, we're only getting a, a small cross section because, you know, there are, there are trans people writing plays and, and creating performances who aren't applying, who are just like making work in their own communities. And, it, it was just so beautiful and refreshing to like see all of those and, and read them all and be like, gosh, if we were only allowed to take up so much space, like think what we could do, but it feels like there's this little tiny space that we're allowed to take up around like transition stories or coming out or something. And that like, I don't know. Yeah. That I'm always trying to like push space for, for those for more. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I've had so many conversations and we, like, our very first episode, Kevin Cantor said something beautiful about like, can't we just be afforded like the mundane? Like, can't we just like, you know, be regularly existing in, in space? And um, 
Yeah, I know it's, it's, I want to celebrate our wins when we have them, when we are on TV and we do take up space, but I recognize that there is a cultural understanding of what non-binary is, non-binary is. Um, and it's very narrow. Um, and it's like, you know, it's necessarily androgynous and it's like, you like, like you were saying, like, why is it so white and, and all of these things. And, um, it's so crazy to me that for a group of people that call themselves gender non-conforming, the rest of the world tries to conform to one image. I'm like, are you listening to the definition of the word? Uh, um, yeah, I love this conversation that's happening in the chat about wanting art, art about mundane trans people. Is I have this um, joke with my partner about a like um, a magazine that's like everyday trans thing because she's a reporter and often reports on um issues having to do with trans people but you but um this this would be a different kind of thing it would be like a headline article would be like a trans person got up today and went to the store <laughs> no more like starring in a tv show or you know. <laughs> i would love that i would read that magazine i like would zine, you know or something yeah um I wanna, I'm, I, I love that you made trans lab. Um, and I know that the, the effect of that has been like very far reaching. I wonder if there's like one moment, whether, whether, whether it's a specific moment or like a general thing that was like most rewarding about that. Oh gosh. It was also rewarding. Well, um, Ada who's, who's listening was also one of the, um, producing artistic leaders. And I feel like she was one of the biggest blessings of the whole thing. <laughs> um, well, I feel like, honestly, the work was what was really like the, the most exciting thing to me. I feel like there was something that I got to see happen um, in that room of like people sharing work that, I, that like couldn't have happened in any other kind of writing group of like a whole room of people who don't need explanation and like a level of um like authorship that the artists could invest in because they were released from that need to explain like it um it makes me think of the um Toni Morrison quote that I can't I can't remember exactly but it's something about like when you're when you're writing you have to forget your name on the street or something you know because it's like if you're if you're marginalized and you're walking around all the time, you have this like awareness of how you look and how you act and how you seem to other people and how you're explaining or translating your experience to other people are making them comfortable. And when you're writing, um, you have to forget all that because um, it becomes that much harder to like get to the, to the you things that aren't for other people, but are just for you. And so I feel like that was, we, we, we were sort of trying, we, we got to create that space where everyone can for a minute kind of like forget their name on the street and just, just write, you know. I love that. Oh, Ada found it. Ada found the quote. <laughs> it's make up a story for our sake and yours. Forget your name in the street. Tell us what the world has been to you in the dark places and in the light. Thank you, Tony Morrison. Thank I you. And like thank you, Ada. We don't have to like, 
how much further could we get if we didn't spend any of our energy just like explaining and getting everyone on the same page and doing this like basic, I feel like, um, I don't know if you feel like just daily living in a world where other people are also there. I'm like gender 101, I can teach it in 10 minutes and I do every other day. (laughs) Um, MJ, can I give you a little reading? I would love that. Switch our little background. I am honestly still on um, this mundane, like, magazine of trans people just having hobbies. Like, (laughs) I'm like, I play a lot of board games. Can I do that in a play? Yes. (laughs) A magazine. (laughs) Oh, my God. Um, MJ, um, what are you thinking about? What are you feeling about? Anything you'd like to share or, like, a tone you'd like to set? Um, while I shuffle these cards. Um, I'm thinking about sort of a lot of different projects that I have on the burners and um, what to sort of prioritize when and how and sort of sort of like two different focuses that I could take in my work of, of sort of like one focus a little bit more mm-hmm. uh, focusing on teaching and another one a little bit more focusing on different different writing mediums. So um yeah just kind of trying to figure out which which path to move towards a little bit how to prioritize when you're when your focus is split mm-hmm. yeah and 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 which projects to prioritize anyways and yeah decisions are hard um okay cool so i've been um i shuffled so now i'm gonna be cutting this deck a little on camera and you just let me know when it feels like the time and the top card is going to be your card. Okay, now. Great. <laughs> okay. This card is the tower. Um, Ooh. How much do you know, Tara? Scary card, right? Disaster. <laughs> um the tower well listen here's the thing about the tower the tower is about like is very much like burn it all down catastrophic change can you imagine what this might be referencing um you know and it's it's about it's lightning literally hitting this building um and that will you know become rubble but the thing about that is like when things are destroying when things are falling around you you literally just have to let go. Like this building is not standing up no matter what you do. So you could exert all of your energy and effort and denial and like try to resist the shattering, but that's, it's going to shatter. So I feel like it's, it's weird because it's like, it is like, oh my God, catastrophe, but it's also like an invitation to like release. Cause like, I mean, you aren't the tower, um, but the tower Maybe it was built up around you. Maybe you built it up. Um, you know, who knows? It's a big, it's a big change. Um, so that, that's, that's what I'm living in right now. Yeah, that's the, that's the moment. Um, so I'm going to pull a, I'm going to pull a sonnet. Um, and then I'm going to read that and talk a little bit about that. And then I'll talk about them together. Like, you know, uh, with, with consideration with what you asked. Okay, so similar, just gonna be cutting this deck and you let me know when it's time. 
Okay, now. This is Sonnet 18. Shall I compare thee to a summer's day? Thou art more lovely and more temperate. Rough winds do shake the darling buds of May, and summer's lease hath all too short a date. Sometime too hot the eye of heaven shines, and often is his gold complexion dimmed. But every fair from fair sometime declines, by chance or nature's changing course untrimmed. But thy eternal summer shall not fade, nor lose possession of that fair thou owest, nor shall death brag thou wanderest in his shade, when in eternal lines to time thou growest. So long as men can breathe or eyes can see, so long lives this, and this gives life to thee. Beautiful. Perhaps the most um, iconic Shakespeare sonnet. Yeah. You know, the poet is affirming this beauty and innate virtue that pales in comparison to a summer day, that's more eternal than a summer day, that that is that is constant and the beauty and the light of the sun and the summer is ephemeral. But the end of this sonnet is saying like, your, what you create, your beauty is eternal. And it is eternal through this written word that we are still speaking. Um, so I, this is such a fascinating pairing. I'm obsessed with this pairing, especially in consideration. Yeah. So the sonnet feels so like light and uplifting and the um, the tarot card feels so kind of like heavy and dramatic. <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to read it one more time um, just to, just to really get all the words in. And I'm going to have you um, try and look at this. Can you see it okay? Yeah. Okay, cool. Shall I compare thee to a summer's day? Thou art more lovely and more temperate. Rough winds do shake the darling buds of May, and summer's lease hath all too short a date. Sometime too hot the, hot the eye of heaven shines, and often is his gold complexion dimmed. And every fair from fair sometime declines, by chance, or nature's changing course untrimmed. But thy eternal summer shall not fade, nor lose possession of that fair thou owest nor shall death brag thou wanderest in his shade when in eternal lines to time thou growest. So long as men can breathe or eyes can see, so long lives this and this gives life to thee. Wow. Anything jump out at you? Anything else that you want to share? Well, there, there's, there's sort of all of these things in the sonnet about like, uh, winds will shake the the darling buds of may and this will decline these things will change and grow and um kind of like uh deteriorate but there but but something essential will stay and i sort of get that from that from that card now of like great change will happen but it will sort of reveal what's rooted in the foundation or something yeah that's beautiful I feel like when you're asking yourself, like, how do I decide which energy do I put more into? Do I put energy into what I'm used to, into what I have told myself I'm going to do for the last, like, many years? 
like to what we got a degree in and, you know, we went to fancy schools for, I'm like, yeah, it would be nice to do those things, but like, look at the world around us. Everyone is saying like, not only can things not continue as they are, are they even working that well? How well was it working? Like considering like how much you and I were like fighting tooth and nail for that little kernel of space that there was for us. Mm -hmm. And so I hope that one day we revisit this thing that we love to do that has such a deep and powerful impact, not only on ourselves, but on so many other people, but it's just gotta be different. It's gotta be a different building and it's gotta be built differently. I don't care if it's in the same space, I wanna feel differently when I'm there. And you, uh, I really, I think about this moment and you know, I hope that in decades to come, we look back on um, this moment in the American theater and this moment in the understanding of trans identities and trans representation and culture. And I really hope that this is the beginning of like what deserves to be an absolute explosion because just like queer people are everywhere in every corner of this country and world, trans people are everywhere. And it is so hard for them to find their people or to, to connect with community or to tell their stories because they don't see anyone anywhere. And I think of you as someone who is at the beginning of this moment of creation your words and your plays and your stories have been so many people's introduction to our livelihoods. And mm -hmm. I really could not thank you enough for that. Thank you so much. That was so sweet. I, I'm so honored by everything that you said and um, hope I can live up to it. <laughs> you do. I think you, I really, I really do. I can't tell you how special all of your work is to me and, you know, when I think of what will be eternal, more eternal than a summer's day, um, it's that special um, warmth that you give me and a lot of other people. And, you know, the blessing of, of giving a window into someone else's life so that, you know, you and I don't have to, you know, we can start one step in. And when we start one step in, we can get one step further every mm -hmm. time. Um, I am so grateful that you, that you joined me tonight. Thanks so much for having me. This was so fun. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I will see you. I hope to, I hope our third date, I hope I, I've won the third date. Yes. Can't wait for our third date. <laughs> I will talk to you soon. And I, I hope you take really good care of yourself. Thank you. You too. Okay, I'm going to pat myself on the back a little because I think I did a good job at that second date. <laughs> Thank you so much to MJ. I want to acknowledge something that I asked them about. And even in the asking of the question, it sort of perpetuates the topic. What I asked about the pressure to represent a whole complex community of people, which I know is not what they are trying to do and not what anyone is asking of them, but it's a weight that hangs in the air when you are one of few. And I understand that for creators and artists, that can perpetuate a sense of perfectionism or the need to do right by that whole group of people. Oof, what a lot to hold. And also maybe something that... <laughs> The individual as the creator is just not interested in taking up that mantle. As 
humans and artists, often we want to contribute to a more nuanced understanding of the human experience. But, you know, we each create through a lens that only represents us. How can we create through any lens other than our own personal experiences? what we learn and notice over our own lifetimes. I think it's kind of the outside world that puts that pressure or assumption on us to write the queer story, to write the trans story, to tell that and make it make sense for everyone else. And MJ already hit it on the head. The general public <laughs> thinks that story begins and ends at pronouns in bathrooms, you know, coming out and the transition process. Yes, that is an element of some trans experiences, but that is not the compilation of what a trans life is. I hope to create narratives and hold space for just trans joy and euphoria, the things that make us happy and feel centered and embodied on the day-to-day. -day. I'm still thinking of magazine headlines <laughs> for the... <ch> <laughs> for the trans mundane existence. If I had a cover story in that magazine, it would be, you know, trans person does a puzzle, walks by the lake, meditates at sunrise. <laughs> like, um, those are the kinds of things that I feel like actually do contribute to who I am as a person. I'm not sure how much space a cis audience who wants to consume that narrative for their understanding, I don't know how much space they're leaving for that. I wonder how we take it. To me, it's those very simple everyday moments that we all sort of experience on some level. Those are the very innately human things to me. How much can we connect across culture and across experiences by something that we both value, something as simple as like a cup of coffee in the morning? boom, that's already so pervasive. But when a trans person does it, it has to be about <laughs> something else. It has to be about whatever they're grappling with. I'm so glad that MJ put themselves in that position of creating TransLab and just taking in all of the stories, all of the submissions from all of the people to realize that there is no one trans narrative or trans story. The trans story is the story of humanity in all of its facets and trans people experience those same things too. <laughs> like, it's just that simple, isn't it? It could be. I want it to be. I hope it will be more so as time goes on, as we get older, as we get louder, and as people just take us in more. I want to be perceived and acknowledged as a part of the fabric of a community without being singled out, without being surveilled, I just want to be noticed and acknowledged and respected and valued as a community member, like everyone else. MJ gives me a lot of hope. They write more nuanced sort of stories because they can, because they've lived them. Some of the stories have a quiet pain or a sadness that I absolutely recognize. And plenty of them are just not about that at all. MJ just puts trans people in human situations and lets them face human challenges. They go off and they do their best and they try to make it right and they try to make it better and they try to find something to smile and laugh about like most of us do. Yeah. So when it comes to trans storytelling, I know for myself personally and for many others, 
We're just tired of seeing it center around trauma, especially when it's not even written by us. Trans storytelling and humanity does not need to center on the transness. Queer storytelling does not need to center on the queerness. Queer and trans people are a part of your world that you live in, whether you realize it or not. So simply allowing them to exist and be a thread of the fabric of that world, all it is is honest. (laughs) All it is is real. So I'd love to see more space in theater, in film, in television, in the arts, where we allow these people to be and exist and thrive and stumble and get back up and keep going. I know that there's a very real possibility that people look at playwrights like MJ and like Kit Yan as someone who's going to represent that community and at its worst, that can become a sort of sense that this is our token trans playwright, this is the box we're going to check off, we're going to establish a relationship with that person and then pat ourselves on the back, we are allies. Y'all, if I could only tell you how many conversations like that are happening in spaces that plan seasons and program. And there is a possibility that any one of those people could attempt to do that and fulfill that job to the best of their ability. And I would understand why they would try. But what amazes me about them and their work is that even with the very limited resources that we have as a community, the very limited pull and sway... They are taking those resources and they are distributing and disseminating by pulling in as many other people from as many other parts of the country, as many different experiences within our community as they can, putting together this group and saying, actually, this is the kind of work that we can make. Wouldn't it be interesting to see a season of all plays by different trans playwrights and see where the intersections are and where they aren't? where stories overlap and where they're completely different. I think we would be amazed by the breadth of experience, by the complexities of tone, by the imagination of it all. I just have that idea right now, and now I'm really committed to doing it. I don't know how I'm making that happen, but someone who's an artistic director, call me and I'll sell you that idea. (laughs) Just kidding. You can have it for free. Please program trans playwrights and trans stories. All that to say, MJ and other people in that position, I have so much respect for them because they are taking the little space that we take up and sharing it with others, trying to pass that on to others. I really do look forward to the day where we show up as a community, as a diverse set of voices with so many different experiences, and we take up space in that way. Not one representative that speaks for us, but here we all are. We can all speak for ourselves, and in speaking for ourselves all together, that is how we advocate for each other. So I have two requests. The first one is for the queer and trans folks listening. Give yourself permission to take a mundane joy today. What are the very everyday things that you love to do? Is it window shopping? Is it going on a bike ride? Is it, I don't know, bird watching? (laughs) Or is it as simple as reading a book in the sunshine? Whatever that is, whatever your thing is, big or small, can you make a commitment to taking time and space to do that today? 
just give yourself permission if you can. I think that would be nice and I think you deserve it. To the lovely allies that are listening to this, I have a request for you as well. The next time you are truly seeking knowledge and understanding on something that affects a trans person or the trans community, how can you go beyond checking in with your one trans friend about what they have to say on behalf of everyone? If I am the person who is giving you that insight into the community, how can you take the topics that I am speaking on and look elsewhere in the world on the big wide internet and find more input than the one single voice? Because there are so many parts of our nuanced, complicated, individual, glorious perspectives paint a multidimensional picture of the trans experience TM. I don't own it. MJ doesn't own it. No single person owns it or represents it or embodies it. We all do, and we all do it together. Okay, with that, I say thank you, and I send so much love to MJ. I'm also sending love to the fabulous, fabulous Tea Cakes and Tarot Conversations with Queer Futurists team. Hi, co-creator Erin Murray. Hi, graphic designer Ray Catherine Morgan. Hi, sound engineer Orion Schwalm. And love to our producer, Island Shakespeare Festival. Please, if you've enjoyed your listening experience today, give us a rate, a review, a like, and a subscribe. Last thing for today, I leave you with Sonnet 18. Shall I compare thee to a summer's day? Thou art more lovely and more temperate. Rough winds do shake the darling buds of May, and summer's lease hath all too short a date. Sometime too hot the eye of heaven shines, and often is his gold complexion dimmed, and every fair from fair sometime declines, by chance or nature's changing course untrimmed. But thy eternal summer shall not fade, nor lose possession of that fair thou owest, nor shall death brag thou wanderest in his shade, when in eternal lines to time thou growest. So long as men can breathe, or eyes can see, so long lives this, and this gives life to thee. Hey bae, one last reminder, you are perfectly imperfect. Until the next time, keep on shining. Mm-hmm.